Welcome to Cloudy with a Chance of Podcast. I'm meteorologist Kirsty Zantini. And I'm meteorologist McCall Vrydags. This is a podcast all about weather. We are two broadcast meteorologists in Dayton, Ohio. And we just can't stop talking about weather. So when we're not on TV, we figured why not jump behind the mic to answer your weather questions and talk about all things meteorology. Now remember, you can listen to Cloudy with a Chance of Podcast anytime you want on Apple iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and WHIO.com. Hey, McCall. Hey, Kirsty. So finally, it's May. May. And it went from, I felt like, winter to summer. <laughs> I know. <laughs> it's Ohio. That's what we get, you know? We just, mm-hmm. we have four seasons, kind of. Uh, mm-hmm. This year, we really didn't. Um, once again, if you're joining us, thank you for listening to Cloudy with a Chance of Podcast. Um, I'm Kirsty Zantini. I'm meteorologist McCall Vrydags. We are out of Dayton, Ohio. Mm-hmm. And um, so... In Dayton, we've Miami Valley, we've had a, a lot of complaints in April. I feel like people mm-hmm. almost started hating us. They did. Well, it started out uh, real active. Yes. We had, you know, a two couple tornadoes. Two tornadoes in our viewing area. Mm-hmm. And then it got cold and soggy the rest of the month. And really, that kind of just diminished any chance for severe weather yeah. uh, for April, which really uh, typically kicks off our severe weather season. Yeah. And I mean, it, like we, you said, it did. And then it just decided to go back to winter. So we had a retrograde of that. Mm-hmm. Um, but for for our month in Dayton, statistically speaking, I did think it was really interesting. We ended up the seventh snowiest on record, mm-hmm. um, the fourth coldest, who would have thought? Yeah. Um, but it makes sense. That was the pattern we were in. We just were never able to really tap into that spring warmth. I know. And talking about statistics, we'll flip the, the switch there and talk about severe weather statistics. And the state of Ohio itself had nine recorded tornadoes since the beginning of the year, which is three times the amount we would typically <laughs> see by this point. And areas in the central plains right. that typically see numerous tornadoes by this point went historic amounts of time super quiet including oklahoma until last night when they finally saw their first tornado of the year yes um and it is what's reference last night was was may May 1st yeah Yeah. i was like what's the date today (laughs) um yeah so may 1st they finally had their first tornado of the year and very interesting for them and we're going to be talking to someone Knows that, a lot about it. A lot about it. A lot. Uh, so we'll get right into it. James Adelot is the chief meteorologist in Tol- Tulsa, Oklahoma at Fox 23 News. He is a graduate from the prestigious University of Oklahoma with a degree in meteorology. And I was talking to him yesterday, and he's getting his master's degree. <gasps> Whoa! He's working on that now. We'll touch upon that as well. He is certified the, by the American Meteorological Society. James comes from a line of Oklahoma natives. He's actually a fourth-generation Okie. If he isn't at the station or volunteering in his community, you can find him in the sky. He is an instrument-rated pilot. Pretty cool, James. What a what an intro there. James has worked in many markets, including Wichita, Savannah. His first job was in Sherman, Texas. He also worked in Dallas and uh, worked at the CBS station in Tulsa. So he eventually came back. Now he's working at the Fox station in Tulsa. So he knows a lot about Oklahoma weather. Uh, he has been fascinated by weather since he's a little kid, and we're going to talk about that. Growing up in Oklahoma, of course, um, severe weather is something you can't avoid as a child. And James, I of course, had to read about you and, and do as much <laughs> digging as I could. <laughs> getting I, all the dirt. Getting all the dirt I could. Um, I thought it was kind of interesting that I had read that when you were a little kid, 
um, that you guys would actually sometimes go and see if there was severe weather. You, you'd see firsthand where it was. Oh, yeah, yeah. And it's great to be with talking with you guys, too. It's, uh, you know, I, I think it's kind of what everybody in Oklahoma seems to do. There's a warning issued, and <laughs> everybody grabs a camera and heads to the porch. And, well, back <laughs> in the day, we just kind of – I remember driving around with Mom and Dad. Oh, well, look at this damage. Look at that damage. <laughs> That's definitely not my life uh, no. growing up as a child. <laughs> we were digging ourselves out of the snow. I grew up in Cleveland and McCall grew up uh, up in upstate New York. Mm-hmm. Yeah, snow was what we we enjoyed most of our lives as a child. <laughs> um, but James, why don't you tell us a little bit about what it's like to be a, a chief in a big severe weather market? You know, it's most of the year is pretty quiet. I think like the, uh, the Miami Valley, we kind of have some ups and downs, and sometimes we pack all four seasons into one week. <laughs> Uh, but, you know, it's kind of between about mid-March and mid-June is our busy season. And uh, we kind of, nobody plans on time off or vacations <laughs> or getting out of town much because uh, well, so far you can have a quiet year like what we've seen so far, but it can be really quick to turn and get very active. Some years, of course, a lot more active than others. So we're just kind of close by and you know, I hate to say it, always on call, it seems, in the spring. Yeah, I'm sure you guys are. Um, a little background on, on yourself. We'll take a step back. So as a kid, of course, seeing damage, like you said, it's kind of something that you guys do in Oklahoma. You know, what what stuck with you and then transitioned you to say, I want to go to college, I want to study this, I want to be a meteorologist? I wish I could pin it down exactly. I know just many times my parents were also very science and Matthew both involved in education and my mm-hmm. father was actually an aerospace engineer Whoa. before he became a teacher and so it, I was always instilled with this um, kind of inquisitive nature learn more about the science and uh, we always thought storms fascinating as a family and uh, you know interestingly growing up I remember my dad wanting to cut two trees down in the yard and they he didn't cut them down all at the same day, but he cut them down, and each night he wanted to cut down trees. We had severe storms, so <laughs> not exactly following lightning safety or severe weather safety, <laughs> but there's my dad in the ladder up against the tree sawing limbs off while a storm is raging. So, <laughs> so that kind dad, of... I don't think you should be doing that. Yeah. But, uh, it, it was always weather, you know, it just happens in Oklahoma, too, that weather of all kinds seems to wrap around our lives. Yeah. When um, when you graduated, then your first job was in Sherman, Texas. What was that like, you know, taking all of the knowledge that we learn in school and then, you know, you're responsible for warning people and forecasting? Um, you know, what was that like, that first job? I know it might be for a lot of us you know, to think just, back. <laughs> especially now with the technology we have at our disposal. And I look back then and it just seems... I don't want to say like a joke, but we just had so little information flowing in. We had these um, kind of coarse model runs that would come in on a big facsimile printer, and we had um, alphanumeric data come in, of course, watches and warnings. But we had an old dial-in radar with old weather service tube technology radars that dated back to the 1950s. I mean, it was in color, at least. But yeah. mm-hmm. uh, when I think how far we've come, it's just... Uh, it's just been an amazing transformation in the science of meteorology and, and severe weather, too. Well, do you think even though you have more technology and more information that you're able to uh, get along to the public with advance notice, do you think that the psychology goes with it? Meaning, are, are people understanding 
uh, the threat a little bit more than they did, you know, those years ago when they didn't have the information? You know, I think you're onto something there. I think as the science has gotten better, we've gotten better at detecting severe weather and passing it along with different mechanisms for getting warnings out to people, text alerts, and mm-hmm. of course our stations both have great weather apps that can give messages. I think the natural extension of that science is to go from just the nuts and bolts of warning and getting a warning out in enough time for people to take action to actually being able to convey that warning in a manner that people understand it and can take appropriate action. And I think that's kind of the frontier of where we're going with severe weather warnings right now. Right. And and, I mean, I think this parlays into, you know, why people should take warnings so seriously and never ignore them. I mean, you guys see tons of warnings, whether they're severe thunderstorm warnings to tornado warnings throughout the severe season. How is it that people don't become numb? Yeah. How do you how do you cut through that? Yeah. You know, I think they do. Um, (laughs) You mentioned being in grad school and actually one of the papers I'm doing this semester is on the Joplin tornado in 2011 mm-hmm. and why people ignored that warning, which was actually a really good warning, right. was the false alarm rate of previous warnings for Joplin and southwest Missouri. So I think the danger is that is that whole cry wolf mentality. We, we have to be very careful and use science more than just radar mm-hmm. to um, you know issue better warnings. I think if we have fewer false alarms people take the warnings more seriously right now i would agree with you on that and a lot of we call and i talk about this a lot i mean we're in the same storm center um but it's you could be as accurate as you want but if you're not communicating it as well as you can um you know your message is lost and and that can really either people just ignore you or they don't want to believe it um so it's kind of interesting to see for your grad program, you kind of mentioned it already. What, you know, give us a little bit more about that. I mean, you're yeah. working full time. You're in your spring severe you weather kids. season. You've got kids. You've got a dog. You're a pilot. You know, you're just casually well, taking on a grad school <laughs> education. What's that like? Yeah. And, and drinking lots of coffee. Uh, the, the grad, I mean, whatever it takes, right? Right. The uh, grad school, uh, I'm pursuing a master's degree actually in emergency management. Oh, so, wonderful. Hand in hand with what you do. Yeah, it's given me a whole, this this course this semester is actually populations at risk. Mm-hmm. And, it's, and what I'm learning is it's not just people are at risk because they're here. It's what about these people and this situation is putting them at risk? What makes them vulnerable? An area is not vulnerable. People are vulnerable mm-hmm. to a, to a, a natural hazard, and when you combine that uh, vulnerability with the natural hazard, then you've got your disaster, and you've got people affected, killed, injured, and so it's trying to analyze that what puts pe- what makes people vulnerable to a hazard. Would you say, and this is something that we've all learned, I mean, we've been lucky to go to a conference that our company, you know, hosts with mm-hmm. a lot of really, really intelligent people in our field um and i always find it very interesting when we have discussions about sociology and and people so i know our technology has improved quite a bit but i feel almost as if what the forward push has been is connecting understanding people and understanding weather and they go hand in hand does that make would you agree what do you think about that yeah and i think that's it i think not only 
do we start in this how to make a warning effective? We have to start with a good warning mm-hmm. if we're talking severe weather. So you've got to, if, say, a tornado warning, for instance, you've got to have a good tornado warning issued in time for people to take action, yet you have to word that tornado warning so people that will be impacted by a tornado or whatever your severe weather, you have to word that and convey that in such a manner that they understand it and it becomes information that they can take action based on. So it doesn't do anybody any good if you just blurt out there's a tornado warning for this county and somebody doesn't know what county they live in or doesn't know what to do if they're in a mobile home or, you know, that's, that's taking it, I think, to the next step in making it a good warning. Not only do you have the warning out and the nuts and bolts of this warning are out plenty of time, but worded this warning in such a way that everybody in this polygon knows exactly what they need to do to stay safe. Yeah. Is there any particular event that stands out in your mind? I know for us, it's, you know, to me, I think Cedarville, that was the first tornado that we had locally that we were tracking and then was was getting the visual conversation and, and then finding out later on that they were watching our channel and knew to take cover. And that moment was the first moment for me realizing how important my job was. Mm -hmm. Is there a moment, storm, or several that stand out in your mind that you remember um, and how much of an impact you had on that actual event? You know, in Tulsa, we had a uh, tornado move west of town. It actually lifted just before it got to Tulsa, but it did. uh, Somebody was fatally injured in a mobile home west of Tulsa. Mm-hmm. But as this moved in, uh, our radio partners were carrying our, our uh, broadcast. And afterwards, they found somebody that said, you know, you, I was listening to KRMG, and that's when you said, Sand Springs, take cover right now. And that's when we went into our safe room and came out, and the whole place was destroyed around us. Wow. And, and then it kind of the impact hits that you know, we're doing a whole lot more than just doing TV or, mm-hmm. or doing media here. You know, people are relying on us. Yeah, uh, it gave me chills because it was kind of the same feeling that I had uh, when we found out that same situation here. Has there ever been um, a tornado warning where it was over the station and, uh, and yeah, you yes, guys all had to yeah. take cover? And did you guys have to continue to broadcast? That was one of them. The, that storm actually ended up producing a QLCS tornado about a mile from the station. It actually wow. impacted the National Weather Service office in Tulsa. Excuse me, broke some windows in their in their building. But um, when you're tracking this rotation toward the station, and we're lucky, our building is a big reinforced concrete blockhouse with a big <laughs> mm-hmm. basement. So yeah. I remember saying, just everybody needs to go to the basement, just pot all of our mics up, and we're all going to be hot until everybody comes back out of the basement, the, the control room crew and everything. So I remember distinctly telling everybody, all the meteorologists that were in, it's like, hey, everybody's microphone's hot, What? watch what you say. Because right. sometimes as a meteorologist, we get carried away, we see something impressive, and mm-hmm. it's wow, or maybe a little bit more. Yeah. And <laughs> just a reminder, all of us, all our mics are on right now until people come out of the basement but what struck me about that day that path is also over the house that i grew up in oh. in tulsa which mom still lives there Whoa. so i remember saying on the air oh hey 
by the way, Mom, this includes you. Oh, my goodness. You need to go to the bathtub. You know, batten down the hatches, hunker down until this thing thing moves on by. That must be very interesting and kind of scary in that sense that, like, I'm a transplant to Ohio, so I don't really (laughs) have so many family connections Mm -hmm. to where I live. Um, And I can't imagine tracking a storm that might be moving towards my mom's house. Yeah. It was strange, but in a way, you, because, uh, you know, some of the street names, you're just intimately familiar with geography the longer mm-hmm. you're in an area. Mm-hmm. And I think that was, in a way, somewhat comfortable because I wasn't grasping at trying to pin down where things were. And I think that's one of the one of the reasons that I'm probably here right now is because I'm from Oklahoma and right. it's just yeah. a good place to be. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned that Storm System was producing a QLCS. We have a lot of those here in the Miami Valley. Yes. Do you want to talk a little bit about what a QLCS is, what it stands for, and um, how they develop, really? No, they're just the worst, aren't they? <laughs> no, they really are. They are. are. <laughs> yeah, QLCS is just it's an abbreviation for quasi-linear convective system. And what it means is kind of a thunderstorm complex that's um, – in general, in the, in the uh, orientation of a line, instead of the individual supercells that mm-hmm. we'll end up probably seeing out west later today, out west of my my area late this afternoon and this evening. But in these QLCS systems, oftentimes we get little brief spin-up tornadoes, and they don't last long, but they can produce damage. They, mm-hmm. they have in the past injured and killed people, so they're definitely something that we're always trying to stay on top of. And like you guys, most of our tornadoes are QLCS tornadoes. It seems like we get big supercells in the western half of Oklahoma, where I am in the eastern half of Oklahoma. We're in that transition zone where we still get some of these big supercells, but we also see that transition into these QLCS events. And uh, it's, in a way, kind of like playing whack-a-mole. It's just... they, they spin up, and you've got to be on them real fast, and then they they drop off almost right. as fast as they kind of spin up. So they're, it, that is an interesting challenge. Yeah. It is especially warning techniques for it because we've seen just parts of the entire line get straight warnings on them. Um, or, you know, then if there is some rotation that they could pick up on quick enough, they'll, they'll do a tornado warning that's a little smaller of a polygon. But that is, I mean, it gets tricky with the, you know – People hearing the warning and just saying, oh, it's just a line of storms. Yeah, not realizing. No, no. (laughs) A lot of times we don't even pick up on the rotation until it gets close enough to our terminal radar, which scans much lower and we can see the rotation. Um, And, of course, the National Weather Service is in our eastern, southeastern part of our viewing area. And when these lines come into the western part, sometimes we're not seeing the rotation initially. So they are tricky. Um, And, of course, any severe thunderstorm warning, we always tell people to take the cover um, but let's talk a little bit about today in Oklahoma. You were talking about later on this afternoon, which is going to be May 2nd, um, knowing that the environment is ripe and ready to go. What type of preparations or what is your team yeah. doing right now to prepare for an event that could get a little bit active this afternoon? Well, right now, as we get up a little bit closer to the noon show, we just finished our morning show. Mm-hmm. So everything is kind of, at least for viewers and radio listeners, trying to lay out um, what time 
us developing out west will actually move into our viewing area. Mm-hmm. But as a team, we're actually rebooting all the computers in the weather center so they have a fresh start for the day. That's very and, smart. <laughs> uh, um, we'll be in, I'll be in early. I expect this stuff to actually fire probably there's a case for maybe not even until early evening. The forcing's not super strong. This is not going to be an outbreak mm-hmm. situation in Oklahoma. But we're going to have severe storms, and we'll likely have a tornado or two out west with some supercells that manage to go on the dry line out there. And so it's going to be an evening event for us, which, um, you know, just so happens these occasionally fall into my normal work hours. So I'm hoping <laughs> mm-hmm. I'll be actually at work too terribly late. But, uh, you know, rebooting computers, just getting everything in order. We have uh, tracers for our station, and we'll be trying to figure out target areas where they're going to be. So once thunderstorms go, we'll know who's in the area and um, if we can get pictures or video back from them. Mm-hmm. Well, that sounds like uh, like you're going to have an active <laughs> second half to your day. But like you said, fortunately, it's going to come in uh, during your normal hours, so you shouldn't have to do. Which is not normal, by the <laughs> I mean, this doesn't no. always happen. No. James is a chief, so you, I'm sure there are many late nights, many days where your day starts at noon. Mm-hmm. and Especially <laughs> into the summer. Yeah. This is not one of these. Uh, now, tomorrow, tomorrow's going to be interesting because we've had a lot of computer models, the, the models that actually are good enough to allow thunderstorms to develop in the model kind of thing where they can actually model individual thunderstorms are indicating somewhat of a little what could be end up being a QLCS system come rolling through tomorrow morning and then tomorrow evening there's a chance we develop more stuff and with that's going to be developing a lot closer to us if we have any instability left. So mm-hmm. one of the complicating factors that we get here is when we have thunderstorms below two in an evening, where that lays out boundaries mm-hmm. and modifies yeah. the atmosphere for the next day. And tomorrow's going to be complicated. If we get the morning showers and storms, that will lay out boundaries for evening showers and thunderstorms. So they all build on each other, and that might be the challenge right now is people want to know, well, what happens tomorrow? Well, we don't know until today happens. Exactly. Yeah. So in our, our big, our last three or four Significant tornado events in the metro area have all occurred after we've had morning rain and thunder destabilize, and some of those leftover boundaries of rain cool there for the morning activity are the focus for severe weather and tornado events during the evening. We literally, that was pretty close to our first severe mm-hmm. weather event of this year for us as well was morning showers and storms and you know the whole morning I just kept saying if we get this break then we've got to watch what happens this afternoon Mm -hmm. and we did we almost went full sun we completely destabilized again and then it it was the uh, late afternoon and evening storms that popped and and one that not only produced a pretty impressive hail core for us um, that we typically see but then we ended up getting two um, tornadoes that touched down from it as well so um, I, this kind of leads in, James, to our weather question that we get. Um, different questions, but one of the ones that um, sometimes we'll get, and we actually had a question off of this was, you know, um, what takes a thunderstorm that is just your typical 20, 30-minute storm in the afternoon? Well, what's any different between that and a storm that produces a tornado or a storm that gets a severe thunderstorm warning on it? So um, for us, I guess it's just kind of going over for people that maybe don't completely understand mm-hmm. or aren't meteorologists a little taste of the ingredients that we look for when we kind of model out and break apart the atmosphere so mccall yeah. i've yeah. used this word before yeah 
It's called Slim, mm -hmm. and it is uh, sheer lift, instability, and moisture. <laughs> Sounds childish, but... It's a way for people to, to remember is. that. And those are all the ingredients. And I think that the lift, uh, instability, and moisture are just generic. You are have generic. your garden variety. But maybe James can talk about how much sheer. the importance is of having shear and how that can take a regular storm and make it intensify. Right. And shear is just how the wind turns as you go up from the surface into low levels of the atmosphere, middle levels of the atmosphere, upper levels of the atmosphere. And there's certain layers in there that uh, research has found have a lot more bearing on storm structure. But you need the shear to separate the rain-cooled air of a thunderstorm from that warm, moist air that flows in. That's the fuel for the thunderstorm, and you don't want that if you're trying to build a severe storm. You don't want that cut off mm -hmm. by the rain-cooled, stable air. So you look for shear that pushes that rain-cooled air away from the warm, inflow, deep moisture air that's thunderstorm fuel, mm -hmm. and that's going to be your difference in going from a just normal old garden variety thunderstorm into a severe storm. And if the shear is exactly right, you may end up with a supercell thunderstorm, and then you hone that down even more to the level, and there are certain various parameters to look for, to have a supercell actually produce a tornado. So it's very rare, but it seems to happen a lot, especially in certain parts of the country. And one of the things I'd like to tell people here is, we had an August tornado last summer, and that's the first EF2 tornado we've had in Tulsa in, since 1950 wow. in August. And I tell people all the time that Mother Nature doesn't own a roadmap, an alarm clock, mm -hmm. or a calendar. <laughs> yeah. You get the ingredients together, it's just science. You're going to get what you're going to get this storm or severe storm or supercell or even tornado. You answered our weather question with us. Mm -hmm. um, so, James, for anyone that does not live um, clearly in the Miami Valley or maybe you're listening from California or, or Florida, wherever you're listening to Cloudy with a Chance of Podcast, and you want to know more about James, um, how can people find you? Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, what do you have um, just so that you know people can start following you and, and maybe they want to get their Tulsa weather updates, even if they don't live in Tulsa? Probably most active on Twitter, at James Adelot, and... Uh, it's kind of a curious mix of uh, weather and snarky humor. <laughs> I was just going to say. So, <laughs> he um, has a great Twitter. Much, yeah. yeah, much more weather this time of year than anything else. But, mm -hmm. uh, you know, we'll, we do a pretty solid job, not only here, but, of course, you guys do, keeping people just always informed because you know, people want information. That's how we make decisions and plan our day. So that's. I'm trying to, you know, try to give people info that they need. And it seems to happen more on Twitter than anywhere else just because it's easy. That's awesome. James, thank you so much for joining us on Cloudy with the Chance of Podcast. Um, you know, I think we learned a lot, and yeah. I'm sure everyone listening did as well. Good luck to you today. It is May 2nd. Uh, so May 2nd, May 3rd, possibly May 4th. James may have some busy afternoons. Mm -hmm. Yeah, check it out. I'm sure it'll be active. Again, thanks for joining us, James. And um, if we have any crazy active spring weather down in Oklahoma, we'll want you to come back on and talk about it. We'll call you again. Great. Will do. It's been a pleasure to be on your show, your podcast this morning. And uh, wish our coffee maker in the weather office luck because it's going to be working hard. <laughs> yes, all yeah. the coffee. <laughs> all right, we'll talk to you soon.
how awesome talking to James. I mean, he is a wealth of knowledge. I know. So much. I know. <laughs> so hopefully you guys learned something. And uh, if not, maybe you just want to wait for the part where we talk about what to look for in the sky. Mm-hmm. Always bring you something. We got something. Yeah, we got something. So this will um, drop before May 5th. So you do have the chance to see uh, one of our May meteor showers, which is uh, the Ada Aquarius meteor shower. And we talked about it last podcast, but um, it is very early in the morning Saturday, but also Sunday morning because it kind of has a really broad peak. Its radiant point is the constellation Aquarius, and it's really, really a good meteor shower, McCall, for the southern hemisphere. Not so much for the northern. We don't get as many meteors. And this year, we're kind of getting gypped because we have the waning gibbous moon, so it's going to be kind of bright. But you get a bonus feature, which is the fact that Saturn is really close to the moon before dawn. So no matter what... You should be able to find Saturn. Uh, So make sure you look for that um, before dawn, really early in the morning, May 5th, and even May 6th as well. Nice. To find both the planet as well as maybe a few meteors. That's awesome. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Yeah, take a picture. Why not? Hashtag Skywitness7. Yes, no matter where you live, we have any great uh, photographers that like Mm -hmm. to photograph the planets and astronomy. Use the hashtag Skywitness7 and we could find your pictures then no matter where you live. That'd be awesome. I feel like that's on my bucket list of something to do at some point in my life is get myself a telescope, Mm -hmm. learn more about that, and then figure out how to take pictures with my telescope. Yeah, that'd be wonderful. Our cell phones, it stinks because the... the iris on the phone just doesn't it just work. Doesn't, it'll always blow out the moon and make it too bright. So a lot of those people who do have real cameras. I know. That's where we get some of our best photos. I know. And the, and I love seeing those photos because, like I said, it's like kind it's of beautiful. on my it's bucket list of things do. to do because yeah. I can't get them on my phone yes. to take pictures <laughs> like that. And there's a lot of times I'm like, ooh. My phone stinks. (laughs) Okay, we've got something else going on in the sky in the middle of the month, uh, May 16th to the 18th. Uh, Look outside about an hour after sunset for the crescent moon and Venus. The moon will be very close to the bright planet uh, those three evenings. So you'll have a better chance to see it because it's not going to be a big bright moon. Yes, exactly. But the moon's always the best way to find planets and to get comfortable in knowing what you're looking for is when the moon is close by because mm-hmm. you just it's very easy to look up and find the moon. Yeah. You don't have to worry about really what direction you're looking for because you just look up and, yeah. and find it. Um, Venus always ends up, especially heading into the summer, is a really good bright planet that will be out for a while. So those are just a few things you could look for in the night yeah. sky. As we mentioned, as we get closer and a little further into summertime, you know, we hope to have a little more with astronomy. Yeah. Maybe get an expert in. That'd be cool. To, to chat more about Maybe it. Maybe teach me. Yeah, teach teach me, teach Instead us. Instead of us teaching. doing teachable moments for you guys, it'll be like right. a teachable moment we'll get for a us and yeah. you. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, so we talk about this a lot as well, McCall, and that is, of course, we love it when you listen. We love when you subscribe. Yeah. Um, but you can take it a notch further and that's either reaching out to us via email or writing a review for us mm. on um, on Apple iTunes. So do you want to go first? Yeah, this actually um, was an email that I received um, from a gentleman named Tim. And he says, hi, McCall. 
I follow you on Facebook, and I kept seeing the posts in the news feed about a podcast you and Kirstie are doing. I finally got some time today, and I listened to the first four episodes. I'm interested in weather and in astronomy, and I have to tell you how impressed I was with the podcast in general. It's full of information, but it's not dry and technical. After I listened, I felt a little bit smarter, and I was entertained, too. (laughs) I mentioned it to my wife, Sandy, and she got interested and downloaded all the episodes and said she really enjoyed it as well. Anyway, I just wanted to let you know what we thought and to tell you we'll be listening to future episodes. I might even send you a question about some of the aspects and weather I'm particularly interested in. Yay! Isn't that such a nice letter? That was really, really sweet. And of course, send us some questions. Yeah, that's what I said. Well, we, I mean, that's what we hope. Um, Of course, like we want this podcast that you can listen to it um, no matter what your age range is or mm-hmm. your level of education or if you're just a little bit interested in weather, um, you know, we, we hope to get a lot of different guests in and to keep you entertained and, and yeah. you know, hopefully maybe, yeah, just maybe tell us a little something. Maybe there's some episodes that you enjoy more than others. Yes. And, you know, th- this fine. is a trial and error thing for us. So, yeah, we're, if we're new we to find, this podcast. Yeah, world. if we find that there are certain topics or certain people that you're more interested in, let you us know, know. Let us know because yeah. we'll try to either bring them back in or continue with that topic. Exactly. So on um, Apple iTunes, if that's what you're listening to us, which, by the way, on your phone, you have a button that says podcast if you have an iPhone Mm. and that button will take you directly to um, where all the podcasts live basically outside of just ours so we got a review um, that was written and uh, Neon K Knight wrote this review thank you Um, they said I love these podcasts you ladies do a tremendous job you're very natural in your conversations and present the information so that it is easily understood you ladies are interesting to listen to, so keep my and you keep my attention throughout. Overall, great job. I loved the interviews with Eric and Gabby. We love the interviews with we Eric and Gabby as well. We're probably going to get Chief Meteorologist Eric Elwell back in here, especially mm-hmm. as we progress a little further into severe weather season. Um, so thank you. We read the reviews. Yeah. And if you have any pointers or suggestions for guests, we'll take that too. Yeah. And, and, you know, reading these out loud is not only to say thank you, but also to let you know that we are reading them. Like yes. you said, we are seeing them and uh, we take all your information and comments to heart. We appreciate it. Yeah. Well, again, if you want to uh, pass the information along, you can download, subscribe, rate, and comment on our podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and on WHIO.com. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time. If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC. Member SIPC. 